0: in the 2018 NBA finals and the identity of that entrant would come as a surprise to no one at the start of the year certainly at many points throughout the season at many points throughout these playoffs the fact that the Cleveland Cavaliers advanced to the NBA finals would have been a surprise but they do it 87-79 a score out of yesteryear uh, but we see a lot of times in these game 7s that it takes on a real defensive bent. There are a lot of mistakes. There are a lot of missed shots. And oh man, where there's some missed shots in this game. But the one constant throughout all these finals appearances and throughout this entire game, he played 48 minutes, was LeBron James. Just another unbelievable performance that would go down uh, among some of his best.
1: The Cleveland Cavaliers had 30 made field goals in game seven. LeBron had 12 of those made himself. He assisted on nine, and he had two secondary assists. What was the most striking thing to me about this game, and there were many, and we'll talk about a lot of them, was how damn near every single good thing that Cleveland did offensively came out of LeBron. And, To have that happen on a team that's shorthanded, obviously the Celtics are shorthanded as well, not trying to discount that at all, but to see all of that come from one guy who played all 48 minutes, having played, I think it's 400 more minutes than anybody else in the league this year now, at this point, it's absolutely awe-inspiring.
0: Yeah, and there certainly was a thought that maybe having played this many minutes and playing all 82 games for the first time in, in quite some time, probably 10 years, maybe even longer than that, for him he usually would get those rests down the end of the year not the case this season and lebron basically i mean he's what had maybe like three bad games in the playoffs and every other game has been like ah you know 30 points eight assists 12 rebounds you know shot over 50 percent basically <laughs> right like i mean it's just incredible uh the way that he shot it but I, despite all of that for the Celtics, we'll hit on some big themes here i thought that boston will be kicking themselves for a long time. Whether it's the 32 three-point shots that they missed, they were 7 of 39 from three. A lot of those were tough. The Cavs, I thought, defended pretty well in this game, but they had some open ones, especially in the fourth. Whether it was the little defensive mistakes, the fouls, the missed rotation, turning your head at the wrong time when LeBron had the ball and someone like Korver popped open. Just small errors in execution. We'll go through all of them. I wrote down every single one in the fourth quarter. I mean, there's a lot of issues that they had in the fourth. Uh, And then the other thing that I thought was really an issue for the Celtics was only three fast break points to 16 for Cleveland. And they just were not pushing the ball at all. You know, they're really, you could count on one hand the number of times that they really pushed the ball up and one of those Terry Rozier got it dunked, thrown back in his face. Uh, by LeBron, they forced 12 Cavs turnovers and only had five on their own. And yet somehow they got totally outscored on the fast break, which I really just didn't understand for this team that's so young and a Cleveland team that, although they've got rid of some of the guys who are issues in transition defense, uh I shouldn't say got rid of because, but one of them didn't play, and Kevin Love and, you know, some of the other guys who were big problems earlier in the season on transition defense didn't play. Um, Pretty incredible. This has also got to be, I think, for Cleveland, and and we could turn to this now, just they got some pretty decent performances from some of the supporting guys as well.
1: They did. I I think the word I would use is, or the phrase is just enough. You know, I, I didn't think that a lot of them had a great 48 minutes but they had enough flashes. Like, you know, Jeff Green had some nice drives and finishes, and, and he had converted a couple of threes. J.R. Smith had a little spurt where he looked good, and he competed defensively for the most part. But I, I think that, you know, and, and Tristan Thompson, actually, he, even though he's better than a lot of those kind of support guys, I thought that the... the foul he drew on an offensive rebound late in the game ended up being important that helped kind of swing the game and so yeah they got enough from those guys to make it work granted also they you know got enough kind of patchwork quilty stuff defensively also as well to make it work
0: the bench in this game for cleveland played 35 minutes total that's got to be i can't recall the last time in an nba game that a bench played that few minutes i mean lebron played all 48 Jeff Green and JR both played 42, and G. Hill was 38, uh, and Tristan uh, was 35. Hill, by the way, plus 24. Uh, certainly, uh, uh, when they went with Nance or Clarkson, it, things didn't go too well for them. Uh, but when those guys only played eight and nine minutes, respectively, they are able to get by there. I did think that you know the loss of Kevin Love made things really interesting, but it, it, it seemed like the Celtics had kind of come up with a way to play him and defensively he provided them with a place to attack and really now this cavaliers unit much derided of course much has been made of them being 29th in defensive efficiency this season i mean this lineup that was out there bore zero resemblance i mean most of the time they had green who you know has never been the greatest or most aware defender but especially if you're switching a lot of stuff you know he can at least stay in front of guys and be a big body and be athletic Uh, he he guarded al horford reasonably well in the post at times lebron tristan thompson again i mean none of these guys are just like absolute stopper guys but they also had just enough that they weren't gonna like give up too many easy buckets and they're gonna at least not be total pushovers one-on-one and once again that was just enough give me some of the stats here for this one actually no, here let's do a quick read first uh and then we can get into the meat of this game and that read is courtesy of Hims. I actually am 38 now i started losing my hair around 25 and uh my dad is pretty much totally bald and i was like man i kind of got a lot of stuff i want to do in my life i'm not sure i want to uh, be bald quite yet um so i actually started taking Propecia, which was much more difficult to acquire much more expensive but it does work uh and i still have kept my hair i basically haven't lost anything since i was 25 and it's just really a much easier to keep your hair than to try to grow it back or have a procedure to get it back once it's already gone and now to keep your hair Hims provides just a much better way of doing that with actual prescription solutions that are backed by science you don't have to wait in the waiting room no awkward doctor visits in person you just go to forhymns.com answer a few quick questions a doctor will review and can prescribe you if of course you fit the criteria and everything just gets sent directly to your door whether it's well-known generic equivalents or, or name brands, prescriptions, forhims.com is the easiest way to do that. So when you get started with them, our listeners get a trial month of everything you need to keep your hair for just $5 today, right now, while supplies last. You can see the website for full details. This would cost you a lot of time and a lot of money if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. But at forhimscom cat you can get that trial month. For just $5. Once again, that's forhims.com slash capspace. Forhims.com slash capspace. So, in terms of the speed of the game, this was like right out of the late 90s, early 2000s. 86 possessions for Boston, 85 for Cleveland. Cleveland actually, despite the absolute slog, scored more than a point per possession. Uh, They had to have a little bit of a flurry late to do that, which we'll talk about. But One thing that was not an old-school way was just the number of three-pointers that that these teams got up. I mean, 35 for Cleveland, that's a lot more than they've been getting in this series. And 39 for Boston. Now, a lot of those were like some not the easiest looks in the world and not by the greatest shooters in the world. But usually that number of three-point attempts means you're going to have a pretty efficient night. But the shots just did not go down. And for all the mistakes that I thought Boston made, especially late, just the misses uh, are, are what will probably haunt them the most.
1: They probably are. And I noticed in this game, and again, this is pretty common in Game 7, because especially the cumulative fatigue with the structure of both of these series, because we're going to see this again on Monday in Western Conference Finals Game 7, the every other day for the last four games is pretty tough. And... When Boston was engaged and attacked, which was almost always in the half court because they just didn't run that much in transition, I thought they did a pretty good job of getting looks. Those looks didn't always fall. I thought those were the better ones. Some of the Terry Rozier catch-and-shoot threes, some of Tatum's best looks, and he had a what-nice game. But that same thing was also pretty much true of Cleveland. The difference was Cleveland's kind of settle was generally a LeBron James jump shot, and LeBron was... Five of 15 on jumpers and then dominated pretty much everywhere else including the all the assists, everybody else but I thought Boston's were more important because with the number of young players they have with the home crowd there I thought they had a, a, a greater chance to force Cleveland into mistakes though as you said they have better defenders those seems were there when Boston tried to create them
0: yeah they were and, and they led at one point 35 22 early in the second and It was kind of looking like it was just going to be the same as all the rest of these games, right? Where you just, the home team gets out to a nice lead and that's it. But we actually finally saw a, a fun game and some lead changes. I thought the critical stretch when the Cavs got back into contact, and then really after that, I don't think any team had more than like a five or six point lead the rest of the way, was really interesting. During that stretch, we mentioned the transition in the open. I thought that the Celtics missed a lot of threes and jumpers. A lot of them were pretty close to going into. they just rim out. Uh, It was pretty much all jumpers for them. And they gave up three transition layups in that period to one to George Hill and then two to Jeff Green. You know, it wasn't LeBron pushing the ball. He was getting some hit ahead passes at times, but it wasn't LeBron pushing the ball. He was just letting guys like Hill and Green, I mean, who are not spring chickens, necessarily the Celtics just let them go right to the rim and transition they just didn't get back they didn't play I think they just kind of hung their head a little bit after some of those missed shots and were unable to get back you know they did a great job all series uh, and then in in the two series prior to this loading the ball in transition getting a big back and they just weren't able to do that during that stretch then they had a a couple more errors like Jason Tatum missed an x out on J.R. Smith's first three-pointer of the series and we said before that kind of the magic number for smith was if he could just hit three three three-pointers that cleveland could look a lot better uh and that's what he was he was three out of eight in this game but that was his first one of corner three after a james drive tatum just didn't x out to him in the corner uh and so after boston had built that lead with nance and clarkson in there early in the second quarter uh, and al horford was killing inside for the first like 15 minutes or so of the game Boston not being able to score during that stretch and letting Cleveland get some confidence on the fast break, you know, augured the things to come. But it, in particular, it just started off. what was a miserable rest of the game offensively for Boston.
1: Yeah, one slight correction: it was J.R. Smith's first made three at the oh, Garden that, that in the, the what series. I mean, yeah, I'm He's sorry. made plenty, plenty in the queue. I just wanted to make sure that was because people go, "You're like, I thought he made some threes. But yeah, I mean, Boston they just weren't really getting much penetration and using that I thought they actually did some nice inside out stuff early on in the game either getting a mismatch or more accurately just getting the ball to to Horford seeing if the Cavs freaked out somewhere just finding finding an opportunity somewhere else and getting a a nice look a couple of Tatum shots came from that and also Jalen Brown had a couple of clean looks early in the game and I thought that those largely evaporated later on he missed a couple but I thought that you know he kind of had those peaks and valleys in terms of the quality of the looks he was getting and that's always a challenge and with boston i i don't know why it why i I don't tolerate it in the same way that i do for cleveland i guess because with cleveland it's all coming out of the same guy so i kind of have that human empathy of like he can't create more than he is but with boston i just thought they were they were settling a little bit too much and i understand that they're tired and all that certainly do but i mean they, I, I feel like they had, um, like, people, some people, depending on how they watch this game, there might be this, like, kind of retroactive error of, inev- of inevitability with Cleveland. I thought this game was right there oh, yeah. for the taking for Boston almost the entire way through. And it is not like their season is in any way, shape, or form a disappointment because they didn't get it, this, doing any of that. But, you know, they had a shot at the NBA Finals in a year that nobody would have really seen that coming given the injuries that they faced. And... They had that opportunity, hundred percent. They did due to great play from Horford, Tatum, and some some great defense. And you know whether that should haunt a team is is really a personal decision for them. But they had that; it was there for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially with Kevin Love out for basically the last two games, to not be able to capitalize is extremely disappointed they did some great things in this game and they defensive rebounded 94 percent of cleveland's misses uh with the exception of a couple of loose ball fouls uh, as well but cleveland only had two traditional offensive rebounds in this game they had a couple big ones late um you mentioned jalen brown i i thought that he had a lot of success getting to the basket but he had like four or five times where he just got stripped or you know kind of went into uh, a double pump that was really awkward and wasn't going to get fouled and kind of just threw something up, um, you know. And then he, you mentioned the missed threes too. He was three out of twelve, although hard to kill him when three out of twelve was by far the most made threes on the team. And he, that's actually better than they shot as a team. I mean, we had nightmare games for Terry Rozier, 0 for ten from three. A, another one of these just crazy number of missed threes for him from downtown. Uh, two of 14 uh, overall i think the, the bloom has come off of his role. rose slightly four points on two of 14 is pretty well, rough.
1: we should talk about one of his two missed two pointers as well
0: oh yeah the dunk but yeah we, we mentioned that <laughs> yeah the uh the, the lebron dunk although certainly don't worry we'll get to that tatum dunk too when he just completely destroyed whew. lebron that was just fantastic uh and yeah
1: oh i just lost my train of thought It's too late. It's too early in the morning or late in the evening. (laughs) Well, I was
0: going to transition to Marcus Smart, who was one of 10. Oh,
1: that's actually where I was going to go. So I had this sinking feeling. I think it was about the five minute mark in this game going, oh, God, is it going to be decided by those Marcus Smart? offensive fouls drawn on LeBron in the first half and being like, oh, if this if it's like a two point game and it ends up being that, it's just gonna be completely insane. I still haven't decided how I feel on the second one of those calls. But the first one was properly called on the rule. I just hate the rule. This was something that came up on another Marcus Smart drawn charge in this series where it's just, you know, not engaged, not his guy, and just stands in the right spot and kind of takes it in the chest. But I love Marcus Smart's defense. And I understand what he's trying to do on those plays, but I was just sitting there going, "Oh, like this is this is the part of you other than some of the jump shots he takes that just makes me so frustrated." Yeah, he certainly
0: is an all-or-nothing type of player in a lot of ways. He did have seven assists, which is worth noting. He had a, a wonderful alley oop to Al Horford for an and-one at one point, so like his passing was solid in this game, even if uh, maybe his shot selection was not so judicious. A couple of interesting things from the shot charts here. You know, Boston was 7-39 for three. They actually went 6-12 on long twos. You know, this is one of those games you could make the argument, there aren't many of them, where long twos are actually a more efficient shot. A lot of those were self-created off the dribble by Jason Tatum as well, who had a wonderful game. He had the most points by a rookie in a game seven. I think Feldman had the stat since 1978 uh, with 24 points, 9-17 from the field. Basically, he he and Horford were the only Celtics uh, who uh, approached efficiency Uh, so he was fantastic on offense uh, mostly on offense defensively I think he had a lot of mistakes he uh, I thought that Cleveland did well to start going after him with LeBron because he's just a little bit too light in the shorts uh and yeah well
1: and he was and he was reaching a lot I think like he was getting mad about a lot of the fouls that were called and and so I started going back and really watching them and they were plays where you lose the benefit of the doubt because he's like, you know, LeBron's post. There was the I think it was Tatum's fifth foul where LeBron was posting him up. Tatum was reaching around to try to get the steal. And while he didn't necessarily get caught with his hand in the cookie jar, he was in kind of the wrong place at the wrong time. And especially against LeBron James, who is a brutally hard player to officiate you when you put yourself in positions where, you know, you're you're not really in the right. Sometimes they're going to get called and it might not be exactly on the right part of the action. But I I thought there were one or two where he got a rough whistle. But overall, I thought it it was pretty reasonable on him.
0: Yeah, uh, I agree with you there. Uh, I thought that Cleveland late in this series, actually, their rim protection got to be pretty good, which is a surprise. You know, they're not considered a great rim protecting team, but they at least uh, with more mobility were able to get guys that are LeBron. His effort waxed and waned certainly in the first quarter. The announcers were critical of him, and I, and I agreed with that. But he also, you can always tell with him, and, and we've been talking about this on the Dream NBA show too, of like, all right, if LeBron misses a shot, you know, it's a fast break the other way. Uh, Boston did not attack in that way in this game. Uh, but LeBron is very aggressive offensively uh, in the first quarter when no one could do anything for Cleveland. I want to say he had 12 of their 18 points in the first quarter And the defense wasn't that good. But then when some of the other guys got it going, they got just enough playmaking from George Hill. They got some of those fast breaks we talked about in the second. His defense picked up. And usually when he hasn't had to do anything for a couple, three possessions on offense of like getting to the basket and handling the ball, he'll make a lot more plays defensively. And he did have some pretty big plays and help defense. And Tatum dunk aside, LeBron had a lot of intimidations at the rim. He still just like has some of the heaviest footsteps in the league in terms of guys just missing shots when he is in the vicinity. I also thought that Al uh, Tristan Thompson deserves so much credit for his defense and Al Horford in this series, who just in the first two games completely flummoxed the Cavaliers. And then Horford was did have 17 points in this one on 7-12, but very little of that was accomplished at the expense of Thompson. A lot of, a lot of what he did was... Late first, early second, at the expense of Larry Nance, who really was bad, just couldn't stop anybody in pick and roll defense, Uh, or he was getting switches uh, as well against smaller players. But when Thompson was on him, and he tried to post up, and Horford just had no chance to score efficiently, it was really Thompson is an excellent post defender.
1: Yeah, I thought Nance was both too reachy and too jumpy in this game, especially in the first half where he just he just couldn't really get into a rhythm. Horford gets players off their rhythm for sure. I mean, he's a phenomenal player and and I understand why it's so hard to guard him because he he knows how to use space, he knows how to attack. and Nance, I just thought he didn't he just didn't really have it defensively and then offensively, he had that weird turnover where they made LeBron made the right pass to get him the ball. And then Nance just completely lost his shit. And I don't exactly understand why. Like he just, like he kind of double dribbled, even though there wasn't any pressure there or double, he double gathered, I guess is probably a better description of it. And we don't know what Kevin Love's availability is going to be. It is still another four days until game one of the NBA finals, but they're going up against a very different offensive squad in the NBA finals, whoever that is. And presumably they're going to need some minutes from nance and i I wonder what that's going to be
0: yeah no certainly uh despite the fact that the cavaliers are back in the finals you'd be hard pressed to argue that the lakers part of those trades was success actually i think they got what they needed to from george hill it was certainly touch and go, and he was very inconsistent at times in these playoffs but i need to recall that when they looked their worst in the indiana series he was out uh was able to come back in that game seven and give them something he was outstanding in the toronto series and then you know he played well enough for them to win four out of seven games in the Celtics series. Um, a couple of notes from the third quarter where the strategic game really got interesting. You know we've been talking all series about those scram switches where they get Rozier guarding LeBron. Rozier tries to front him. They lob it into LeBron, and while the ball is in the air, they try to bring a big over to defend LeBron as Rozier would sprint away to the weak side. So they had a couple of nice looks off of that early in the third. Jr got going hit a three off of that when they just moved the ball lebron threw it very quickly to the weak side and Rozier couldn't get out there again uh and so then the celtics changed up the strategy and went to conventional defense with lebron being guarded by Rozier, and then just tried to bring help over and you know that went okay but uh you know, that was one thing that they changed up since they'd been kind of doing that for most of the series another interesting thing was with lebron james tristan thompson pick and rolls you know they had been switching that with horford lebron in just brutally effective drives i mean how much energy those drives have to take just going right through an all defensive player and al horford uh for a couple of layups going to his left and so it looked like boston tried to switch up into more of an ice coverage there uh with and but LeBron was able to throw a couple of pretty decent passes. Tristan Thompson got a dunk just going right down the lane in the fourth quarter off of that, which looked like a mistake in that coverage. I'm not sure whether Horford Horford was up way too high, which meant like I, I think he thought they were switching, and Marcus Morris didn't realize they were switching, and so they just gave up a dunk to Tristan Thompson right down the lane in the middle of the fourth quarter. Like that was that was pretty ugly. Uh, so th- those are a couple of the uh, interesting strategies. That were tried, but there wasn't anything else that I I thought was too sexy strategically in this game.
1: No, I, I don't know if this counts as strategic. You mentioned earlier, I thought Boston working hard to make sure they got defensive rebounds was very important in this game just to keep Cleveland off. But also think about the cost that that played in terms of their transition offense. I mean, generally Boston was keeping three guys back to try to get rebounds and they were succeeding at ending Cleveland possessions, but that made it harder for them to run
0: yeah maybe maybe that's part of it uh and cleveland was able to get out and transition again in an 8-0 run boston was up still by four to start the quarter and it's not like cleveland scored so incredibly well in the third but they also got 20 to 13 but they did have this 8-0 run uh jr and jeff green hit threes off of that scram action and then tristan thompson in transition again uh, off of james pass so He assisted on all eight of the, or I I think he had a secondary assist on one of those, but he basically started all eight of those points. Uh, I thought that Boston, despite the fact that Nance was negative nine, could have done a better job of even attacking him further to start the fourth quarter. They got that really nice alley-oop from Smart with Corver as the backside help guy. Couldn't get over to stop the alley-oop. That that was an and one. They got a couple other decent buckets uh, there, but then they kind of just went away from uh, attacking Nance um Kyle Corver was only one out of six from three but the one that he hit was just massive to put them up by three he had came off a double wide pin down from the corner being guarded by Marcus Smart Al Horford was the help defender and he somehow just got it off at the top of the key and drained it Boston also like got to the foul line a lot and this is probably a chance here to just talk about some of those plays that they're gonna wish they had back this is just in the fourth quarter uh Jason Tatum drove to the rim had got fouled but had a pretty easy layup for an and one missed it uh, that layup. up he did hit a couple of free throws uh they tried an alley-oop to larry nance which missed and then Jalen brown just lost the ball out of bounds uh, right off his hands then they throw the ball in smart deflects it and james just, it goes right to james and james just hits a jump shot you know that was a huge turnaround uh, if, if brown had been able to corral that rebound um i thought Brown. this isn't a specific mistake but brown in particular got a couple of rebounds he had six defensive rebounds in this game and a bunch of them in the fourth quarter and he was doing the all right i got the rebound and then i'm just gonna like bend over and hold it to my stomach and give it to marcus smart when at his most effective in the series he was grabbing and going and really pushing it you know he just did not have that level of aggressiveness and i think it's like in the high pressure of a game seven a lot of times your first instinct is like all right we got to make sure here we got to slow it down we got to get a good shot and so often that's not the case now you don't want to be steph curry left hand behind the back pass out of bounds in the corner in a game seven either uh but you know so many times pushing the ball can be huge in cleveland's selective running I mean, you remember that george hill layup that basically iced the game to put him up seven with under two minutes left where he just ran past everyone and lebron threw it ahead to him and they, and they got a layup i mean that was just a, an enormous play so a couple other boston mistakes here and if you want to react to any of these feel free uh jaylen brown got wide open in the corner off some floppy action and then just stepped out of bounds before he took his three-pointer which ended up missing anyway uh jr smith got a three when rosier got switched on to james and tatum was just standing four feet away from corver or oh, that or, one was or, or from jr i mean and james i mean great pass thousand miles an hour but you know lebron hadn't even started his move yet and tatum was just ball watching and they gave up a three that was a killer
1: and Cleveland, without Kevin Love in particular, just doesn't have that many players that really threaten you other than plays create like unless they have something created for them. And so the idea of just kind of staying home to a greater extent and letting, you know, LeBron, maybe he would have had to score a little bit more. I think there was some real merit to that. And it's a change from earlier in the series just because Kevin Love is unavailable. You know, Hill has had his moments and Boston. I understand why they didn't go fully to that approach because there are risks involved there. But if you're not going to go fully to it, if you're going to, like, kind of laze off one of those type of guys, it needs to be for, for a really good reason. And I thought there were times in, especially the second half, where Boston was giving those guys too much room without the impetus.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and certainly when Rozier is on LeBron, you want, it's kind of all hands on deck. But, uh, you know, he hadn't even started his move yet. He was back to goal 22 feet from the rim uh marcus morris two of four free throws smart was one of two in the fourth quarter i mentioned that tristan dunk off of the messed up pick and roll coverage between morris and horford earlier tatum with a bunch of reaches and he fouled lebron the back down and, and you know i think fans are up around. arms like oh he didn't really make contact number one there was contact in the arm number two it was one of those plays where he just reached so many times in a row and fouled him so many times in a row that a the referees are just finally like they want to let it go but if you just keep doing it they're eventually going to call it number one and number two he was doing it so often that lebron was like all right you're just going to keep doing this i'll just put my arm up through your arm and get a foul there is rosier just like grabbing the back of james's shorts as he drove in and was already beaten i mean i don't know what grabbing the back of his shorts 280 pound guy is going to do but you know that's another just clear foul so james got free throws on both of those i mean pretty much every boston foul in the fourth w- was just an ugly foul like just a bad loose ball foul by brown I, um and then the other thing that'll just kill them is the missed open three uh, uh morris went one out of two on, like those last free throws i was talking about smart got a great offensive rebound morris misses a wide open three Rozier gets the offensive rebound throws it up top gets out to the wing he misses a wide open three and so uh, you think of like that situation in particular, like how many crazy shots did Boston hit over the course of the last two rounds in close games off of scramble situations? Those just did not go down in this game. Uh, you know, And then of course, like letting George Hill get behind them for a layup after another missed wide open three by Rozier. I mean, I really thought that on so many of the Cavs fast break plays, the Celtics just kind of hung their heads after missing pretty good shots. And, you know, that was just enough for for them to lose the game.
1: Something else I wanted to make sure we we, we talked about it a little bit, but Tatum, especially early, I thought he had a really nice offensive game. Moment was not too big for him on that end of the floor. was getting, you know, sometimes it was him getting to his midranger and making his midranger, but he has hit that reasonably well, but he also hit a couple threes and got to the lane. Got in, Got in the lane a couple times, and so I, I was impressed with how he fit in. And I'm not. I'm still not exactly sure. This has been a point of contention between myself and, and Boston fans all year. I'm not exactly sure what his ideal role will be offensively on a really really good team. But I feel confident that he will be able to fit. He will be able to font- make that work in Boston, considering the amazing offensive talent that they have. That was not available in this series.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll do their off season preview soon enough uh, i am sure but you know i don't expect a ton of changes in boston this year um i think they got to kind of after all the crazy shit that happened this year they got to kind of take at least half a season and try to figure out what they have and how well these guys can work together and kind of see you know in the other conference you know see where lebron ends up and, and you know certainly i think with all the talent they have returning they would enter next season as the favorite in the east but you know, stranger things have happened, you know, certainly in terms of they could get diminishing returns and uh, with all this talent together, or could be a little disease of me with Braun and Tatum, who've taken such steps forward this year. And now they have to get back in the pecking order behind Hayward and Kyrie. Maybe Kay and Kyrie don't look that good. Maybe having Kyrie out there doesn't help their defense. Maybe they lose depth. Uh, Maybe Rozier is not happy without getting a contract extension. Maybe just, you know when this team was healthy this year uh, other you know they were missing hayward obviously it was huge but uh when this team was healthy this year they didn't have the greatest point differential in the world they didn't you know it's not like they were dominating like incredible teams here in the east playoffs so maybe there'll be better teams in the east next year uh you know we'll see what the west looks like there's just so many variables that i mean unless they can just get a great deal on another superstar you have to imagine they're probably going to come back we'll we'll talk more about that in a little bit here i'm just in awe of what james has been able to do dragging this incredibly limited cavaliers team to the nba finals but also like i think and you know we can see both sides of this coin that this boston team was a a team that was not like some great point differential team in the regular season and then they lost their best player uh, and they had other injury concerns as well you know this was not not an amazing boston team they're an amazing story they're an amazing defense, but they weren't an amazing overall team uh, for James to beat. And certainly, you know, with the eight straight finals, again, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to find another great team that he beat. He's had some great individual moments. He's carried some very limited teams uh, to the finals, but much like, you know, seven-time all-stars or whatever, no, it's more than that, right, uh, Joe Johnson, you just have to remember, like, what the Eastern Conference has been. You know, there's, a, a on average, I think it was Kevin Pelton who had this. 10 of the 15 all-nba slots every year go to uh, during james's career essentially go to players from the west so while making it to the finals eight straight times is unbelievable i do think that we also just need to remember what the east was during this time period uh and temper that a little bit that if you know hey maybe if he'd been in the west it would have been a little bit harder for him to make those finals uh but you know what, if if they win another one of these finals, then uh, I'll have to totally shut up with that argument too.
1: It's a strange feather in his cap, not meaning bad strange, just meaning strange because the context is vital to discussing it properly. Not only did LeBron's teams face a weaker slate of opponents, and this has been a charge that has been levied against the Warriors, it's relatively fair against the Warriors just like it is for every team in the playoffs, because they face injuries just as their opponents have, but... Also, the, some of the best teams that Cleveland has faced, or sorry, not Cleveland, LeBron's teams have faced during this run have also been shorthanded. I mean, you could think back to any number of of recent years. I mean, the Hawks were somewhat shorthanded. I think they were gonna, the Cavs were going to win that series going away yeah. anyway. Last year, like, and so I'm not saying they would have, you know, lost any of these series, but not. It's that's just the way it is, and. It is an accomplishment, it is a singular accomplishment, and we should appreciate it as such, and especially if they can convert this or or LeBron's team, who knows, maybe he goes somewhere else, or with Cleveland next year and they win the Eastern Conference again, but, you know, it is is its own thing, and we can appreciate it for that, and it is worth saying that that does not you know to me that doesn't make it, like it doesn't weigh really too much for me in the like best player ever conversations and things like that because you can get so justifiably into the context of it and it's just it's just a very different league and certainly lebron's dominance played a part in that as well but going back to the the 10 out of 15 being in the west also remember a one of those 5 is lebron every single time and b a lot of those other players whoever that has been in a given year are in limited situations like for example this year with Giannis like Giannis to me should have been first team all NBA we talked about this before his bucks were not that good you know like as a playoff team like they weren't at that level and so that you know you had some of that stuff with a lot some of those all NBA spots went to like the Raptors guys and you know those those players are certainly good in the regular season but we saw what happened what's happened in the playoffs with them when they've gone against Cleveland even an intensely flawed Cleveland team like this year
0: Now, the counter argument to all this, though, is like it would be impossible to say, like, how any how he could have played better during, during, I mean, for these eight years. You beat the
1: teams in front of you. They beat the, they beat the teams in front of him. LeBron has made the playoff. Like, LeBron's teams have made the NBA finals since Kyrie Irving was in high school. Like, that's just the way that, that is insane. And I mean, I think it was since my first year covering the NBA. And, it's, it's incredible. So you appreciate both sides of it. You appreciate that it is a singular accomplishment. Nobody else can really touch it other than if we're going back to, you know, a very, very different era in the NBA. Appreciate it for what it is. And I mean, and also, I mean, so I was thinking about this after game six, that if they gave, we talked about this, I think, on Twitter NBA show, if they gave an MVP for the entire playoffs, you know, so regardless, I would have considered giving that award to LeBron even if the Cavs didn't make the NBA Finals. That's how impressive he's been so far.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And I guess kind of what I, what I like to say is that I think the team success component of LeBron's legacy is a little bit overrated, but the his individual contributions are, are maybe if anything underrated. You know, I mean, if going back to 2009 when he had one of the greatest playoff series ever against the Orlando Magic and his team lost in six because they just didn't have the horses you know and and you really could point to essentially two series in this entire time that he's lost where you can say that you know he didn't play up to his own standards you know which would be 2010 against the Celtics I mean I I think of really as LeBron the the like MVP level LeBron started really in the 08-09 season so 2010 against the Celtics so you could debate how big of an issue his elbow injury was and then 2011 against the Mavs you could say yeah you know what he was pretty culpable in not playing up to his incredibly high standards in those two series other than that he did everything he could and played as well as anyone could possibly play in pretty much all of these series ironically I would actually say that the 2015 finals might have been his worst uh elimination loss of any of the, <laughs> those uh Uh, and that was the one where he had maybe just in terms of his raw points rebounds and assists his most impressive performance at all but just like for whatever reason his jump shot just totally abandoned him for that playoff run whereas you know the rest of the time it's actually looked pretty decent so yeah i mean it's just an incredible run this this is certainly another feather in his cap in the greatest of all time debate i mean that's certainly you know when we have ben taylor on again we'll revisit that i think probably we'll just have to wait until after the finals for that now but uh and talk a little bit about his greatest of all time rankings and how lebron stacks up uh, to mj but certainly i mean he is at age 33 you know the the equivalent here would be lebron's 1996 season where you know they went 72 and 10 and he actually didn't have a very good finals that year had a very good playoffs obviously and they beat some great teams and were one of the greatest teams of all time. But, you know, certainly you'd be hard-pressed to argue that LeBron is playing at a lower level than Jordan was playing it in that season. And this is a, despite all we've said about the East being watered down, you know, that was an expansion year after, you know, five years after a bunch more expansion and after a bunch of really bad drafts. So there's a, a lot to be said in this argument, but I thought it's just an interesting way to start thinking about that as LeBron, just another just massive road game seven win which i don't uh jordan had one road game five win in his career which is that incredible shot against a very very good Cavs team in 1989 uh but i don't think he ever won any other uh i'm not even sure he won another elimination game on the road in his career uh certainly not in a series that they won so lebron definitely has because his teams have been worse in a lot of these He's actually had more chances to do incredible things in some of these, you know, road game sevens. I mean, it's just a, another massive win against a team that, but despite uh, how much time I spent talking about how they were kind of, you know, not quite at the level of your typical conference finals team, they were certainly that at home in the playoffs up until this game.
1: Yeah, and it's going to be beyond the Celtics. I mean, the Eastern Conference—the future of it—is is fascinating, and will be changing a lot over the course of the next month and a week is probably about the time frame we're looking at here of having a good idea of where this is going the celtics are certainly well positioned in that conversation and i'm excited to see who else is in that conversation i would expect philadelphia will be in it but i mean it could it could end up being other people too
0: yeah and and selfishly just for my own purposes, i i would have liked to have seen the celtics win this just because i I think i'm kind of just like sick of lebron being in cleveland i'd like to see him go somewhere else that'll be more interesting uh, and it just, it, I think it would just lead to more off-season intrigue and chaos, and that's obviously uh, good for our business uh, when that happens. But uh, no, the Cleveland will be in the NBA Finals again. You want to talk briefly about what to expect in Game 7 uh, with uh, Warriors Rockets? You know, we didn't record yesterday, we were going to, but then it turned into a massive blowout, and, and we didn't feel like we needed to. Chris Paul... I mean maybe he'll show up there for a little bit and just like limp around on the floor and try and get the crowd into it uh but I I don't expect him to play or certainly not to play with any degree of effectiveness especially because he to be really Chris Paul he's got to like actually be able to make moves one on one in the way the style of this series and I think the chances of him doing that are extremely unlikely and then it also looks like andre Guadalá shockingly with this knee bone bruise uh, you know i'm I, i've been struggling to understand exactly what it is about this injury because it's not in a place where it's either on a joint or on a muscle but i think it's just like so swollen and inflamed that he just really like can't move with it and and also the chances of getting hit on it again you know you are something that i think he really doesn't want to deal with and you know a bone bruise is That's like the beginning of a fracture, basically. So maybe you don't want to mess with that uh, in your lower leg. But yes, he's considered doubtful uh, for the next game. But what do you expect, given all that in Game 7?
1: If Chris Paul can't be Chris Paul, and that is my expectation, sadly enough, I'm I'm incredibly disappointed in that. Houston is going to have to probably deal with some turnovers. I mean, that is they just don't have enough shot creation, and they're going to be forcing some passes. And in Game 6... 21 turnovers 11 of which were live ball and that is a real challenge against the Warriors it can help give them life I thought that Houston's half-court defense especially in the first half did a very good job I thought they were definitely better than the Warriors who I thought the Warriors actually defended Houston pretty well they just had these very strange lapses like Kevin Durant not realizing that If he needs to be a step or two closer on guys either in transition or there was one on eric gordon where oh yeah eric gordon can shoot three feet behind the three-point line he does it all the time so do many of durant's teammates and i expect those mistakes to be tightened up a little bit i mean it's a game seven there will always be some of that because these teams are tired they've been dealing with a lot and especially in in this series it's been a lot of high leverage minutes and a lot of them because these players are just logging some serious totals but I just think that it's going to be hard for Houston offensively to be able to go. I mean, they got some nice stretches from James Harden, but he really tapered off in the second half. I thought that Clay Thompson did a nice job on him, and it'll. I think really what it'll come down to for Houston is if their support players and Harden, if they if they can hit three pointers, probably a fair amount of them are going to be more challenging at least than they were in Game Six. They absolutely can win, but that's what it's going to take for them to win.
0: The refereeing will certainly be something to watch very closely. And Houston only had 17 free throw attempts, or only 9 out of 17 from the line. That didn't help them much either. And, and worth remembering that this game was pretty close through the middle of the third quarter. Uh, and then the Warriors uh, outscored them 31-9 to 9 in the fourth to finally win it by 29. Houston only had 25 points in the second half after 61 in the first. But even that was really all that 39 point first quarter it was 22 16 and 9 for the next three quarters for houston and some of that could be fatigue a lot of it i think was just cleaning up those weird errors many of which uh, kevin durant was a culprit in just my overall note here is a lot of people are probably saying you know this is a boring strategic series it's just switch it's just iso well golden state since game four and you remember them saying like hey you know we think we found something in game five even when they lost we feel better about their offense but since that point they've started incorporating just you know i I think i've said this on the show before that there's a list of like 20 different things that you could do to try to beat a switch where and you know maybe you try four of them on a given possession and you know only one of them is going to work to give you a slight advantage but i mean if you watch this closely they're doing stuff on every possession i mean there's this clay thompson slipping the pick pick and roll now with steph curry Uh, there is Jordan Bell just dead sprinting across the court to set picks and then trying to change the angle of picks at the last minute. I thought Jordan Bell was pretty good, by the way. I I think he should start. He probably won't. Looney's on the injury report, but I think he's going to play again. There was, when they're not guarding Kevon Looney, Steph Curry realizes they're not guarding Looney, throws it to him, even if he's in a spot where he can't do anything, and then just sprints right over to Looney and and gets a DHO for him and shoots a three. Like There's every play is almost like its own kind of read-and-react symphony now as the Warriors have gradually incorporated all these little things into trying to beat the Switch. And, of course, Houston, you know, they'll do like that like five times a game. You know, basically it's just Harden Switch. Okay, now we're going to go one-on-one. You know, they're much more basic. I mean, they'll try and get stuff every once in a while, but, you know, they just don't have the commitment to trying to play that way. And we saw very few KD ISOs in game six he he didn't have a very good offensive game uh so uh, i think they really have gone away from a lot trying to get the match up and attacking me it's been even less of that and then obviously the transition as well has been another thing just really trying to push the ball up uh, the floor uh, has been huge as well
1: it is going to be so strange for who whichever one of these teams advances for the battle they've had to go through each possession to get a clean look to really even getting any opening to going against Cleveland. I, I, I mean, Cleveland certainly defended better in the later games of the series, and they have vast majority of the year. But it's I, I think it's going to be like having somebody like sitting on your chest, and that person standing up standing up so you can breathe again.
0: Yeah, well, we certainly thought that that would be the case for Golden State back in 2016 as well, and those first two games that sure looked like it right and then you know when they got on the road uh, things kind of changed uh but you know i mean cleveland if chris paul i mean i would not be shocked if chris paul just misses the entire rest of the playoffs even if houston is able to advance it and it's interesting too we can close on kind of this historic note the warriors last i checked earlier today are favored by like four and and I couldn't remember the last time a road team was favored in a game seven off the top of my head. Uh, and I wasn't able to, I I didn't spend that much time looking, trying to look it up. I don't really know where you, you could find that precisely, but I mean, there are a few that came to mind for me where maybe, you know, it seemed like relatively close going in and now, obviously there are plenty of times a road team has won a game seven. But if you go back to maybe like 2009 magic at Boston, where, it was a game seven and Boston ended up getting blown out in that, but that was because KG was out in that series and Boston was doing their second straight. Uh, I th- want to say that maybe the Spurs were favored over the Clippers in game seven in 2015. Like that was very close going in. Obviously that was just, it's really too bad that like neither of those teams went that far. And that's in that season, because like, that's just like one of the greatest series of all time. And it's just kind of uh, an underrated one that we had the privilege to do right as, Duntown was starting maybe brooklyn over toronto in 2014 although i would imagine that toronto was probably favored then uh and then maybe you'd go back to like lakers kings 2002 i'm guessing the kings were probably favored but maybe that was close and the lakers always kind of get a bump and then maybe the defending champion spurs at the hornets in 2008 in a series in which which was similar to this one in which all three teams or or, i'm sorry each team had won three at at home uh, and then the spurs actually beat the hornets on the road in Game Seven, ended up losing in five to the Lakers in the West Finals. But those are the only ones I could think of. I mean, if you are if you could think of any other ones, uh, I'd be interested to hear it on Twitter at Nate Duncan NBA. Uh, anything else you want to say about this uh this Game Seven? Other than that, we'll be doing Twitter NBA show for it. Nope, that's good. All right, well, that will do it for today's show. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about Game Seven, uh, and probably won't preview the NBA Finals quite yet. But we'll—I'm sure it'll be difficult to avoid getting into that to some degree, and. uh Certainly, got more great stuff coming ahead as well. We'll do uh, an off-season preview, and we also are starting to get into our draft scouting as well. Have a few more of those for you this week. We will talk to y'all then.
1: The legends are true. Overwhelming power, sauce of destiny. Yes.